Well, hello there. It's me again, coming at you here on KWTF, 88.1 FM Bodega Bay, and streaming across the world at kwtf.net forward slash listen. I'm so glad you're all here, and I'm happy to be back with you on this second episode of Spilling Rubies. Perhaps you're wondering where this title comes from. I know many have wondered, many have asked, and now it's time to tell you. It comes from uh, a wonderful book called Women Who Run With the Wolves. Many of you know this book, many of you don't. Check it out if you don't. And basically, there is a quote in there that moved me in which Clarissa Pincole Estes says, to create, one must be willing to be stone stupid, to sit upon a throne on top of a donkey and spill rubies from one's mouth. Well, that's what we're doing. We're spilling some rubies and we're just letting them fall by the wayside as we wander on our donkey. Have you looked at the moon tonight? It's a full moon, it's a blood moon, and they'll there's an eclipse actually tonight, so if you're listening east of the Mississippi, uh, you just might see it. See this amazing eclipse of the moon and the rising sun at the same time. Uh, it's a very fancy word for it, which I will probably mispronounce right now. Selenelion, S-E-L-E-N-E-L-I-O-N. And according to celestial geometry, they say it can't happen, but it's going to happen anyway. And so is the show tonight. I'm flying solo tonight. That's kind of the idea. Once a week we have a guest. Once a week I fly solo with a specific theme. And tonight's specific theme is Jailhouse. I chose this theme because it is uh, something pertinent to my own life, uh, a loved one uh, was recently arrested, and I've had to go on the journey of the criminal justice system, and I use the word justice with some pretty big air quotes, let me just say. Ah, but I am going to share some music tonight. I'm also going to share a story that I'm working on about my experience, about waiting in front of the Sacramento County Jail at one in the morning. And there might be a few little comedy bits as well. We'll see if we have time for them. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a cup of tea, possibly, or whatever you enjoy. It's all possible. It's all here for you now. And uh, let's just see where the evening takes us, shall we? In the afternoon, I just killed someone to have a little cherry candy. That happens often like that, till like a sugar drives me mad. The problem, I didn't have a pen in my pocket, but I do have cheap hands, so I thought, just stop the next drugstore, fill your bag and save yourself. Yeah. 
Slave today, you know, but nobody can ignore that even you don't trust your system anymore. So tell me, how much time is left before you blow your invent? Economy sucks, and things are not going well. my phone has died, I still find my way to the county jail. I feel lucky to be in my 40s, having grown up with the ability to use a map and orient myself in the world without an electronic device to guide me. I see the jail looming above me. It's actually quite beautiful, made almost entirely of glass with delicate trees and flowers etched into the large windows. A woman and a young boy stand outside the doors. I tentatively approach her. Is this where people are released? She turns and looks at me. Her eyes are kind, and she smiles at me, nodding her head in affirmation. 
I stand for a moment and watch her son cavorting around the concrete lobby outside the jail. He's singing a funny little song that I cannot quite make out. I'm always amazed how a child can find something to play with, even in the most bleak places. Right now, the boy is jumping from payphone to payphone and singing a song for each jump, using the metallic clanking of the receivers to keep the time. I ask the woman if she is waiting for someone to be released, immediately fearing that I may have crossed some invisible social line. Perhaps it is not kosher to ask such things. Perhaps it reveals too much, asks too much of this woman's personal story. She smiles again, perhaps a little tired of me already. Nope, just waiting for a visit. I don't know what she means exactly. Are inmates released for short periods of time? Do they go sit in a room somewhere? I nod as if I know what she's talking about. Okay, I say. I'm going to go sit down. As I walk away, she calls out to me. Congratulations on your person getting out. That's a blessing. Her look is meaningful. I look back and say, thank you. My gratitude is genuine, but it feels empty. How do I convey to this woman that I understand what she's really saying? How do I tell her that I know it is a blessing, a blessing she does not currently have? How do I tell her that I'm sorry? I'm sorry for everything. I'm sorry that we're both here. I'm sorry that once again the white person's loved one is being released and the black person's loved one is not. I'm sorry that I am ignorant and full of privilege and I had to ask her how the system works. I'm sorry that we are both women, alone, in the dark, having to wait. I don't know how to tell her all these things, so I just sit and stare at the ground. Yeah. 
Occasionally, a single person exits the jail. They come striding out purposely, knowing not to make eye contact or engage with the people waiting on the street. Do these people work here? Are they lawyers? Are they bail bonds people? One woman is largely pregnant with icy white blonde hair and big nerdy glasses. She has on a cute black and gray knit dress that accentuates her very pregnant belly. Does she work around violent inmates with her big pregnant belly? Another woman exits the building. With every sound of that door opening, I look up, hopefully, as if they would just let my husband traipse out on his own accord. I see his face in my mind with that trickster gleam in his eye. It was all just a big mix-up, I hear him cheerfully say in my mind. The newest woman to emerge has long, dark, black, curly hair and big, shiny, knee-high boots with startling high heels. She's also dressed entirely in black, and her makeup makes her look like a fierce vampire drag queen from the 1950s. Who is she? What in the world does she do in the Sacramento County Jail at one in the morning?
Finally, a woman exits whom I recognize. I don't mean that I know her personally, but I know exactly who she is and what she's doing. She's a chaplain. I know that because I went to Interfaith Chaplaincy Seminary, and many of my fellow students were this woman. She's in her 60s, a recovering nun who now works with the incarcerated. Her gray bob is tied up with a blue ribbon, and she's wearing a worn-out gingham dress that billows around her skinny frame and sensible beige flats. She has a big bag full of stuff, and she still has her name badge around her neck. I worry that she is striding off into the dark streets of downtown Sacramento, which seem to be full of the walking wounded screaming and tweaking and shaking. But then I remind myself that she works in a jail. She's comfortable with the wounded and the screaming and the tweaking. She chose a path I could not, and I'm humbled by her strength and by her peacefulness. Jailbird, jailbird, singing through the wire. Cause his cage is closed and he's stuck inside. Said, who's gonna hear my help me, help me now? Yeah, who's gonna hear my help me, help me now? Hangman, hangman, knocking on the door. Says, heaven can't wait to have you no more. So who's gonna hours have passed. And other than these random women exiting the building, there's been no movement. I approach the scary doors and walk in. There's a deputy standing next to a metal detector. He looks at me with recognition. He's seen me waiting and looking confused. I can tell immediately that he does not want to deal with me. And as I hover, wondering what to do or say, he barks, what? I ask when my husband might be released, to which he responds, He's a criminal, and he will be released when he's processed. The way in which he said that word, criminal, 
It was like he was daring me to cry in front of him, which seems to be the biggest sign of weakness in this screwed-up paradigm. I don't want to cry in front of this bully, so I meekly respond, okay, and turn around and walk out. The helpful woman and her singing son are gone. Did their loved one emerge? Where did they go? I am disappointed that I didn't get to see who this woman was waiting for, disappointed that I couldn't give her another smile and wave before she left to go live her life. Except for the cab drivers, sitting in their cabs, talking or watching movies on their laptops. I learn later that they are here for those released inmates that can afford to hire them to take them home. I wonder what freshly released inmate has enough money for a cab ride through the sprawl of Sacramento. Occasionally a tiny smart car pulls up with Acme Bail Bonds printed on the side. That's a fake name. In fact, the whole miniature car is wrapped in loud acid green colors. It looks like an ad for an energy drink, more like more than for a bail bonds company. I try to imagine my six foot nine husband cramming his giant body into this tiny car. 
The driver is a young woman, no older than mid-twenties. Every time they pull up, she grabs a bunch of folders and walks into the jail. She has a passenger, a young woman, with lavender streaks in her hair and a really cute leather jacket that has puffy sleeves and big silver buttons. She sees me noticing her, and I smile. She smiles back and walks over. How long have you been waiting, she asks. About three hours, I respond. She tells me that she has been waiting since 8.30 a.m. for her person to be released. I imagine her circling around in that tiny car for 17 hours. That can't be possible, can it? Before I can ask what she's been doing this whole time, she's jumped back in the car with the young lady bondsman and silently pulled away in their little electric pod. You are tuned in to KWTF 88.1 FM, Bodega Bay, and streaming across the world at kwtf.net forward slash listen. KWTF is supported by Stanroy Music Center and a grant from the Redwood Justice Fund. KWTF relies on listener support and volunteer programmers. You can find out more at kwtf.net.
Once again, I am alone. Sometimes packs of tweaking young men walk by, shouting and punching each other. I am very aware of my vulnerability. A woman alone at one in the morning, sitting by herself. A mother and son walk by. I'm guessing they are currently without a home because the mother is dragging a rolling cart behind her with blankets and sleeping bags stacked on top. Her hair is a striking bleach blonde against her light brown skin. She's talking nonstop to her son in the way that tweakers do. She has so much that must be said, but all of it is nonsense to my ears. I do not have access to her world, and being this close to it is fascinating and sad. By the sound of her voice, I'm guessing that she's in the process of transitioning from male to female. Her son appears to be about nine, and just as the other little boy found something to play with in this concrete wasteland, he too finds a way to play, climbing on the bicycle rack and balancing first on one foot and then the other. He responds to his mother as if he understands what she's talking about. He seems to be an old pro and at handling her tweaky stream-of-consciousness jabber, letting her know that he is listening, but knowing there is no room for him to participate in this one-sided conversation. Shortly they move on, and a new character walks up. His look is so magical. He's wearing a lilac men's shirt that's so big on him that it comes off as more of a tunic. He's accessorized with an old-school leather weightlifter's belt and a snazzy straw fedora. He also has a pure white chihuahua on a leash and a little rolling cart filled with beautiful orchids. I'm dazzled by this beautiful person who is like an exotic orchid himself amidst the gray concrete and yellow streetlights. He seems magical, like a fairy visitor from another world, and I want to connect with him and understand who he is. I want to play with his dog and ask him why he has so many orchids. He walks over to one of the payphones and picks it up. He didn't put in any money, and he didn't ask to make a collect call. He just picked it up and started talking. The conversation seems to be going quite well until all of a sudden the imaginary person he's speaking with must have said something nasty because he begins screaming at them and banging the receiver over and over against the metal. He even gave the hard metal stand some solid kicks before throwing the receiver down and grabbing his rolling cart and the leash of his dog and storming off. My heart drops as I realize that this is just another one of the walking wounded on the streets of Sacramento. His magic is dark. And I have enough darkness in my life right now.
Apparently, released inmates come out in waves. The women come first. They burst out of the glass doors and breathe the fresh air. There is a moment of joy on their faces. I am free. Then reality quickly sets in. There are cigarettes to smoke, phone calls to make, and rides to find. There is a much older woman wearing a long, white, lacy gown and sandals who wanders around in circles, confused. It's so cold, she murmurs. I realize that since these women were incarcerated, fall has arrived and the evenings are no longer warm and balmy. It has rained and the night has a chill in the air. I imagine how disorienting that must be for them. She circles closer to me, moaning that she is blind without her glasses. I can't see a thing with my, without my glasses. Why did they take them from her? Why didn't they return them when she was released back out into the dark, dangerous world where an old woman with hennaed hair and a 1970s wedding dress needs her glasses to work things out? When the women come out, it was like a burst of birds fluttering through the sky, chittering and yelling and laughing. When the men come out, the feeling is different. They're more like a pack of hungry, angry dogs looking for their first meal. 
I see and feel them scanning the crowd, which mainly consists of the women recently released, busy bail bondsmen and cab drivers. I am the only woman sitting alone, and three men immediately make a beeline for me. They have come to prey on me. They have come to take anything and everything they can get from me. They circle me and work together like a pack of coyotes. Give me a cigarette. I gotta use your phone. You all alone? They bombard me with questions and aggressive body language. I stand up and try to channel all my strength. I feel the weight of my body. I feel the power in my weightlifting muscles. I remember the old riot girl take back the night refrain. Eyes, knees, groin, throat. The four places a woman can hit a man to debilitate him enough to run away. Will these men attack me in front of the county jail? If you choose to fight, then remember these are the places to hit. for the aggressive, shaming, unhelpful deputy inside the glass prison. He sees the men surround me. His eyes are black and glassy and uncaring. He locks the doors and flips the sign that says closed until next shift. I turn to the crowd outside. I see an older cab driver who looks like a character from a character actor from a Wim Wenders movie. He has kind eyes. I remember my friend Mary's advice, who has a son currently incarcerated in the system. Look for anyone with kind eyes and make friends with them. There are kind people everywhere, even in the darkest of places. The cab driver smiles at me and nods, as if to say, Yes, come over here with me. I immediately walk over to him and greet him like an old friend. He smiles and treats me the same. The coyotes veer off, following the sexist, misogynist rules of our culture. Another man has claimed her. It turns out the cab driver is originally from the Ukraine. His accent is beautiful, like liquid gold spilling out of his mouth and wrapping around my shoulders like a familiar ancestral shawl. He comes from a place that will forever be the old country to me, a country that has seen more than its fair share of heartache, violence, and loss. His face is darkly tanned and weathered with wrinkles, the way old farmers and construction workers look, men who have lived their lives outside, working in the elements. We discuss whether or not another wave of inmates will be released. 
Sometimes as one, sometimes as more. He calls out to one of the coyotes that had been circling me. Hey, is there another batch? Are you the last? The dark coyote does not make eye contact and mumbles something incomprehensible. He has his leather belt, which has been freshly returned to him on his release. He's holding it like a weapon, holding it loosely and then snapping it tightly, like a noose or a whip. He darts around looking for something, but I don't think he knows what. He's angry. He wants to release the anger and shame and pain of having been incarcerated, but there is no one to receive it. There is no one to witness it. The cab driver checks his phone for the time. The background image is of a beautiful little girl with dark eyes and dark curly ringlets. She's holding a picture book and seems to be completely immersed in it. Who's that little one? I ask. That is Lulu, my granddaughter. Love of my life. He then asks me if I have any kids. I hate this question because it's a painful one for me. My husband and I tried to, for many years to make a baby and were not successful. Instead of adopting, we chose to remain child-free, and rarely do people understand that choice. I explain all of this to the cab driver, and he is yet another one that does not understand. Children are everything. If you do not have a child in your home, it is empty, no matter how many people are there. I tell him that he's probably right, and begin to cry. I cry uncontrollably because I am tired and because I have been waiting for hours for my husband to emerge from this glass dungeon, and I'm scared that I, too, will have to wait many more hours, cold and hungry and alone. My tears elicit anger and eye-rolling from the crowd around me. I'm a white, privileged woman of a certain age. I don't know real hardship, so I don't get to cry. And they're right. I've never had to go through this. I've never been in the system. The only jail time in my family was noble activist jail time, protesting the treatment of young black school children in New York City. That jail time was waxed about poetically in my family. The photo of my mother being dragged away by two cops, which made the front page of our hometown paper, is a loved archive in our family lore. That photo is seared into my brain from staring at it so many times throughout my childhood. The woman in that photo, her two-toned beehive and houndstooth skirt, so striking in black and white, was so foreign compared to the mother that I knew. It's always a startling moment when a child realizes that their mother or father was young once, that they had the spirit of a teenager, and were once hauled away by the police and made the front page of their hometown paper, much to the embarrassment and shame of their own parents. Travel. My friends, I wish you well along the way. 
This is the story of how I came to be in jail for a night and a day. I'm driving my 88 Olds Cutlass. It's raining and it's dark. My wipers are beating slow and steady. Like the thump, thump, thumping of my heart. I'm rolling down from up in Colorado. Some little town in Texas tonight. When my rear view flashes blue, blue, blue It's the cop, my license place missing a light He smells sweet green Colorado Hidden in the lining above my head Next thing I know there's four cop cars flashing And around my wrists are bracelets of lead well, take my license, take my fingerprints Take my wallet that I no longer need Take my belt in case I want to hang myself For a nickel bag of weed And put me in a cell on an old mattress pad To measure out in minutes this night one cup of water and styrofoam Four walls and one fluorescent light And this is my one phone call And baby, I'm calling you You tell me, stay strong, boy I'll say when I do the best I do And I wish you well on your travels my friends, I wish you well along the way This is the story of how I came to be In jail for a night and a day Now at first I'm thinking, man, I'm such a fuck-up My head is lonesome and bowed I figure I'd join some program, get religious my abstinence will make my mother proud I stare at the stone cold floor I guess that's what you do in the pen And I get to thinking what I'd really like to do Is to come back here and fight this to the end Your honor, think of Johnny Cash Elvis and Hank Williams too Whatever it took to go get those songs Those good old boys would do If it's illegal, throw up blonde on blonde Every Beatles song seems hard days and night Go ahead and burn Walt Whitman Unpaint starry night Cold train, Louis Armstrong, let him burn Kerouac, the loneliest monk Alice in Wonderland, Picasso Burroughs, Blake, Ginsburg, throw it out, it's junk Yeah, throw out all your favorite records Throw your books of poetry away 
Close the museums, burn the paintings Restore us to Galileo's day Then to the drugstore we will go For Vicodin and chloroseptic spray Scarf a couple of Darvacets and Xanax Then we'll go floating away Dear Governor, dear Governor, dear Governor The final enforcer of my fate Did I interrupt your three martini lunch? Are you off on your cigarette break? How is you well on your travels? My friends, I wish you well along the way day my buddies bail me out toward late afternoon friends of grass they never smelled greener sun drips honey like from a golden spoon we jump in the car and drive on out of there soon we're miles away and I get to thinking of what awaits me When I come back some not-so-distant day Will I stand before the judge And say, Your Honor, this law, it is wrong Or will I just do the time and pay my fine Shake this town from my boots and be gone I wish you well on your travels My friends, I wish you well along the way This is a story of how I came to be in jail for a night and a day. I wish you well on your travels, my friends, I wish you well along the way. This is a story of how I came to be in jail for a night and a day. Well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You are tuned in to KWTF 88.1 FM, Bodega Bay, and streaming across the world, kwtf.net forward slash listen. I know today wasn't quite as funny this week as last week. We're going to kind of alternate back and forth, but if you tune in next week at Tuesday at 8 p.m., you will hear our next guest, Stephen Anderson, a very funny, funny man with some very funny, funny characters. And of course, Dr. Shauna will be back as well. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of funny. Uh, a comedian, Andy Sanford, did a funny little bit about being in jail. And uh, I'm so glad you all tuned in. And I will see you all next week. But I tell you that story uh, because 
For a while, I considered uh, opening for a clown to be a career low point. Uh, and then, uh, just a while back, earlier this year, I flew down here to Atlanta. I had a whole weekend of shows set up. And on the first night, I got pulled over, a nine-year-old warrant popped up, I went to jail for eight days, and I was like, you know what, open it for the clown wasn't that bad. <laughs> This is bad, okay. And what made it worse was my friend was with me. He was pretty drunk. And uh, when the cop is running my, running my stuff and he's taking a while, I turn to my friend and I say, uh, you know, hey dude, if something comes up and I get arrested, I need you to be cool because you gotta make calls for me. I gotta get out. And my friend says, dude, you're not getting arrested. I'm gonna pull the paramedic card. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what that is, but don't. <laughs> Apparently, my friend worked as a paramedic for like six months, so none of his friends can be arrested. That's a rule. <laughs> well, when it comes, you know, the cop came up, he asked me to get out of the car, I saw that I was getting arrested, and he didn't pull the paramedic card. He said something much worse. He said, officer, you can't arrest my friend. He's a comedian, he has a big show tomorrow. <laughs> This cop was so excited that he bagged a comedian. Like when he brought me into the jail, where the, in the booking, where there's all the other people that just got arrested, he's like, hey, I got a comedian right here. It's a funny guy. And if you know any comedians, one of the most annoying things you can say is, oh, you're a comedian, tell me a joke. Your comedian, tell me a joke, takes on a whole new level of intensity in jail. By the time I got through booking into cell block 600, I was running out of material. Uh, and I was freaked out, and I, I met my cellmate, or Maselli, as we call him in the big house. Um, Maselli, he was cool. His name was Mo, and to give you an idea of what Mo was like, when I asked what he was in for, he said, oh man, wait a bitch brought the bill, gratuity included. I got upset, whoop de whoop whoop, policeman got me on the ground. which I think we can all relate to that. Sometimes the waiter bitch brings the bill with gratuity included, and you get upset, and then whoop, 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 you're on the ground. It's a bad day. Well, I guess word had gotten around that I was a comedian because Mo asked me, he goes, hey man, is it true you're a celebrity? I said, no, I'm not a celebrity. And he goes, oh, okay. Hey, do you know Rudy Huxtable from The Cosby Show? I said, no, I don't know Rudy. And he goes, oh, because I got a problem with that bitch. <laughs> then he proceeded to tell me about the three different run-ins he had had with Rudy from The Cosby Show at the Popeyes near Greenbrier Mall. <laughs> I'll try my best to summarize. He said, I was at Popeyes eating my chicken, my Cajun gravy, you know, whoop do whoop whoop. <laughs> And I feel I should clarify, whoop doo whoop whoop can be et cetera or yada yada yada. <laughs> I'm eating my chicken, Cajun gravy, whoop doo whoop. In walks Rudy Huxtable from The Cosby Show. My friend said, hey, that's Rudy from The Cosby Show. I said, no, it ain't. He said, yes, it is. I said, no, it ain't. I turn around, it is her. So I start saying, Rudy! <laughs> you know, when someone is telling you a story and it's, it's, you're sure that's exactly how it happened, but they don't see they're being a horrible person. 
It was like that. I won't bother telling you about the two other times because they're exactly the same. But he sat there and told me the story three times. And I had, I didn't know what to say. So all I could think to say was, well, you know, her name is Keisha. So maybe next time you could be like, hey, Keisha. And then he said, nah, man, I'm talking about Rudy from the Cosby Show. It's like, cool, seven more days. 